I love coaching and I love talking about coaching. Coffee House Coaching was created for a couple reasons. To connect with other coaches and their clients and also provide a space to better understand what coaching is and how impactful it can be to you and your career. I'm your host, Gary Nowak, and today I had the pleasure of connecting with Jason Daly, who in addition to being an awesome executive coach, is also a trained pathologist and public speaker trainer. You can find Jason at anchoredleadership.com and Jason at anchoredleadership.com. Happy clients include ESPN, Adidas, PwC, Slack, Nationwide. Some highlights from our conversation, taking a system approach to supporting his C-suite clients, how best to understand the client's system, working with clients for a minimum of six months because change takes time, real-time pop quizzes the universe sends us all the time, coaching can be about individuals feeling uncomfortable, taking a bird's eye view to coaching and providing the client with a different perspective, noticing patterns, using a golf analogy around coaching, my presence is an intervention, and finally, being the lowest heart rate in the room. Okay, okay, let me get out of your way so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jason Daly. Jason, great to see you. Can't thank you enough for being on my podcast this morning. Thanks for having me, Gary. Great to be here. First question is, what's kind of your background and what got you into executive coaching? I have a bit of a non-traditional background coming to coaching, at least I think so, based upon telling people this. So I'm trained as a speech language pathologist. I have a master's degree and about eight years of clinical work helping folks, gosh, rehabilitate after a brain injury, a stroke, neurocognitive disorders. There's a lot to say about that, about that career, but I did that for about eight years. And then I found a very, very small bridge between speech pathology and the corporate world. And so after about eight years of doing that, I then transitioned into public speaking training, communication, executive communication, coaching training for individuals and teams. Did that for about six years, worked with a number of Fortune 500 companies on three continents. I know you know what it's like to be on an airplane every other week. That was certainly my life for about seven or eight years. And then I knew that I wanted to not just coach a methodology that was developed by the organization I worked for. And I didn't just want to train people. I wanted to go deeper And I didn't have that time to go deeper with people, even over three days to the extent I wanted to. And I left that role, not just for that reason, but I left that role and I ended up inside of an organization in a healthcare system that allowed me to then take my coach training formally to the next level. And I've been doing that for about five years. So you started off very finite with with your career and then because it wasn't expanding into, so you definitely made an impact with what you were doing, no doubt. Then you said, hey, I want to make a a greater impact with people in their careers. Yeah. So my latest, so my latest role was as an internal member of the organizational effectiveness team for the large healthcare system. The, The role prior to that was very much a, let's call it a vendor relationship. i I'd fly in and fly out and I'd work with intact teams. Sometimes we do open enrollment programs, but my latest, my, my latest, my most recent role was as an internal executive coach for the company that I worked for. 
Excellent. That's probably something I'll want to explore with you, internal versus external. So let's walk through the impact you've had as a coach, whether it's a typical type client or a typical type issue that you want to discuss today. Yeah. Wow. Where to start? I think as you would attest to, and maybe any other coaches who are listening to is we'll find an entry point here, but I think about coaching in systems, individual leader or executive comes to you and says, I'm working on this challenge of say, how to become more of a visionary leader as a C-suite leader inside of this organization. Okay, let's talk about that. So we start working through the goal setting process. We maybe even start the work together on a one-on-one basis. Then relatively soon into most of these engagements, the senior leader starts to recognize that they are a part of a system. Maybe they've even created the system or they're keeping the system in place unknowingly. And there are parts of the system that work and there are parts that don't. I often find that my one-on-one work often turns into some team engagements as well, because we're supporting the system, not just an individual leader. So what do you mean by system? Yeah. Okay. So any group of people assembled and they call themselves a team, they're a system. Now, sometimes teens will call themselves a family, which I don't personally ascribe to. And I certainly avoid that term. My parents get along just fine, but they divorced when I was six. If I'm thinking of a work team, I don't really have a desire to be a part of a family that resembles the family I grew up in, even though I love my folks and my parents. Broken system. Bingo. Yeah. And so when I think about system, it's how each individual contributor to the team, people, leader or not, plays an integral part to the way that that team, that business unit or that entire organization performs. Got it. Very, very helpful. And somebody will come to you, an executive, with an improvement objective. It's not just the individual. It's, it's also the system that they're operating in that can contribute to their success or can encourage their being a better person. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely fair. Yeah. Yeah. Context matters. Context matters. So in other words is what's going on around them. So whether they are the CEO or in the C-suite or they're at a manager or director level is what's going on around you because that context matters. But coaching the way that I approach it is especially what I would call quote unquote executive coaching is any leader that I'm coaching is the executive and I'm the coach. I own the process of coaching. They own the actual work which often happens in between our sessions. But the goal is to create change over time. That's how I talk to clients about what coaching is. It's a contract for change. And so we have to get really clear on what we're trying to change and the context or contexts with which you as client are trying to change it. So you manage the process. How do you understand the system that they're playing in? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reading between the lines often, but I'd say the more direct path to do that is, is to get their take on it, is to understand a lot more about the challenges that they see with the system around them. Now, all, I should say this too, Gary, in case it's not clear, our coaching focuses directly and solely on them and the change that they can bring. It's not asking others around us to change. So that's the orientation that we begin with and that we really stay focused on. But the other thing is there's always the possibility of bringing in stakeholder interviews. So if you come to me and you want to know how how your team really perceives you really, 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 and maybe your peers and maybe some of your internal or external clients or stakeholders, then I might conduct somewhere between six to 12 
short conversations with people that are related to questions that you want input on. So you work with your, and do you call them a coachee? Do you call them a member? How do you refer to them? I call them a client, client. Usually I say you're a client. This is important. This will be a, a big part of this podcast is how you call your clients. So I love it. So you engage your client into the stakeholder interview to, to say, you work with me. How do you want me to, to approach these folks? And you say six to 12, then you conduct these stakeholder interviews based on your alignment with the client. Okay. That's right. Yeah. 15 to 30 minute conversations. They're anonymous, a hundred percent confidential. I have some batch questions that I might start the conversation off with, but then typically I like to try to get somewhere between two and three specific questions that are related to input or feedback that that client wants from their stakeholders. Why do you make it anonymous? Yeah. I want to protect the integrity of data gathering. In other words, it's really important that the person that I'm reaching out to, let's call them the stakeholder, who doesn't know me from Adam, that they have a level of trust as one, as one can, you know, to the maximum level you can expect from a complete stranger, that what they're going to share with me is really in service and to the benefit of the person I'm coaching, which often is their leader or their peer or maybe their direct report. And so what's important for me is that the data is as pure as it can be, which all that to say is just their version of how they perceive or how they experience this coaching client of mine. So that's the number one reason. At what point do you do the stakeholder interviews with? Yeah, usually. Yeah. So I'll typically I'll do an intake conversation, a meet. So meet and greet with the potential client. They turn into the client. They say, hey, I want to do work with you. We do an intake process, goal setting probably somewhere in there, a typology or a personality assessment, or they share data that they have with me. And then pretty shortly thereafter, we're, I'm jumping into stakeholder interviews because it allows the data that I am starting to get about this client of mine coincide or even compare it or contrast it with some of their self-assessment and some of their goals. So the stakeholder interviews are designed to inform some of the work that the client will choose to do. You're triangulating the client's perception, the stakeholders, and then this third-party personality assessment. Okay. I was going to make a joke about what if they don't have a personality? Like what happens often to me, Jason? What do you do with that? That may not oh, be appropriate. I refer out. I refer out to my friend, Gary. <laughs> so I'm your friend now. How good is yeah, that? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, exactly. For a very okay. hefty referral fee, by the way. <laughs> 110% referral fee. That doesn't That's sound right. right. You know it. <laughs> yes, there are clients who aren't very suitable for coaching. Well, let's let's talk about how you impact. So you go through all this initial data gathering. And then what's a typical engagement? Yeah. I I probably follow two two lines of thinking there. Let's just stick with the traditional what I'll call executive coaching. If it's change over time, I'm just I'm not convinced that change happens within three months. I minimum work with people for six months at a time, six months to 12 months, maybe up to 18 months. Often that cadence for me is somewhere between one and two times a month. Now, many executives are busy. It's hard for them to carve out two hours a month for themselves. And I choose that language very intentionally. And so we might spread it out, right? We might get together once every three weeks. Typically, I never go less than six months. Maybe I will for specific situations. So I'm trained as a communication coach. That's my background. So someone may have, they may have a, a more urgent need or request. Two weeks ago, I had a client who connected with me, word of mouth referral. He had a talk coming up in Vegas. I've got a talk. 
I need to make an impact. I want to be ready for this. I want to be sharp. Well, that wasn't the time for me to say, hey, let's start with the personality assessment. And why don't we No, it was okay. You got to get ready. We've got four sessions. We'll pick up the work once you're done with your time in Vegas because you're a people leader. But let's work on some of the external facing challenges first rather than the internal work. And so I'll do boot camp or intensive scenarios when, uh, when that situation arises. This is aligning to your client. So it's not necessarily a specific client because is there in your world like a cookie cutter engagement of, boy, this is how this is going to go? Or do you find you're adapting quite often? Yeah, I think simplicity and clarity when laying it out for clients is perhaps, I mean, dare I say it this way, is perhaps one of the best sales tools, truly. But then what I say to folks very early in our process or even in the introduction is this looks linear, but it seldom takes a linear path. And here's why, because I want to be responsive and we should agree to be responsive to where your energy is. And so your energy is going to shift as context happens for you, right? As life happens around you, as challenges come up. So we want to keep the focus of our coaching on you, but there are real-time pop quizzes from the universe coming all the time that will provide a really rich environment for us to work on yourself. Pop quizzes from the universe. I'm writing that down, Jason. I like that. That's a good one. They aren't always fun, but they're usually good learning opportunities. Well, you, you go into class in high school and you're late and you realize there's a pop quiz, like, holy moly, maybe I should have been paying attention. So can coaching help out with pop quizzes? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's the ability to be responsive in the moment rather than react. So you, so you walk into the high school classroom and there's a pop quiz and you freak out. Now you're freaking out. And so now your sympathetic nervous system is in high alert. Now you're in fight or flight. Now you can't think straight because the executive functioning of your brain has started to just disappear. And now you're thinking with your, with your reptilian brain. That's in high school. So now think about it this way is you're in the boardroom and you're having a conversation, maybe not a conversation, maybe you're an observer. Then uh, your peer unintentionally throws the microphone your way figuratively speaking, and now you're on the hot seat. And now they want to know how your team arrived at those numbers. Or now they want to know what you've done to consider the client's primary negative feedback or constructive criticism about your product rollout. Now what do you do? How do you engage with the parasympathetic nervous system? And so much of it has to do with the work you may do in coaching to be more responsive in the moment. I should have told you, you can't use big words in this podcast, Jason. <laughs> parasympathetic. I know I should know this stuff, but you're putting me on my back foot. So what do you do well as a coach that, that you think separates you or makes you the best coach you can be? I use really, really big words, Gary. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, right. No, what I would say is, so I think I, I know this for sure. I build rapport very quickly with people. So while coaching isn't meant to help people feel comfortable, that's not the primary purpose of it. I do think it's important that people feel, tr feel like they can trust you as a coach and that they can share enough early on in the process that helps them start to get some of the key work done. So I, I know that I can build rapport quickly with individuals. I can do it in a room full of people. And that's always been a, a huge part of my skill set that's allowed me to be a relator through it. Well, I can attest to that. I think 
we built rapport quickly. So getting back to your example, because I want to try to focus on if somebody's looking for coaching and is listening to this, how this can be helpful, because you brought up something interesting that a lot of times there's a pop quiz, you're not ready for it. Is that something you help coach people to understand what triggers are coming so that, ah, you know what, Jason, I know I get nervous when I can feel it in my chest, I, my breath goes short. So that's a definite trigger. Is that something we would work on to say, okay, Gary, when you notice the trigger, here's, here's where you have to start thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think effective coaching, this isn't the only definition. Effective coaching is an invitation to get, and I'll speak this more plainly, but to get the client up on the balcony. This is, you've probably heard this. I borrow this analogy, this metaphor from Pam McLean at the Hudson Institute. And it's to get them up on the balcony. And so here's how I think about it. If someone can get out of the situation and stand above it and look down from a bird's eye view and start to recognize and notice patterns, it's a whole different vantage point versus being in it. Whether in it is in conflict with another person or they're having a hard time delegating or making decisions. I believe my job is start to notice and recognize those patterns and share them as observations if the client's willing to hear them. I lived in New York City for three years, and I'm, I'm, but, a, I'm but a Southern Ohio boy who grew up with a 200-acre farm in my family. And so, the, proudly, by the way, the hustle and bustle of Manhattan, I would, I'd had to travel through Times Square. I had commuted through Times Square every single day. And there were times that I'd just stop and look around and just notice. So, oh, my gosh. So when I think about clients observing patterns in their lives, it's like standing in an office window looking down on Times Square versus being in Times Square itself. It's like removing ourselves from the situation so we can gain a better sense of how we're showing up in said situation or situations. It's a good way to define coaching. It's almost a timeout to reflect back, stand on the balcony, stand on the high rise, look down at Times Square and almost observe what's been happening to you and what's the important output of that for the individual, do you think? Mm, application the next time the pop quizzes arise. The other way I think of it is retooling your golf game. But I see coaching sessions, our formal sessions, as working on your swing at the driving range. We're isolating parts of your swing, your stance, your grip, your follow through, how you bend your knees. But what matters eventually is how you take all that retooling and you put it to use on the golf course. The golf course is, again, it's daily meetings. It's one-on-ones with your team members. It's pitching a deck to a group of investors, right? Those are the opportunities where we can apply those skills that we're working on after we're done with the, the lesson in the driving range. So one kind of heavy question, how do you think being a coach has impacted the rest of your life? You said we only have a few minutes for this conversation, right? <laughs> Seriously, right? Man, for one, it's called into account that I must stay committed to working on myself always. So for anyone who's listening, if you happen to just for some reason be confused to think I've got it all together, my goodness, it I, I don't. <laughs> Far from it. The last two years of the pandemic, I have three kids. Last two years of the pandemic working in healthcare, I have three kids, one with some special physical needs. I've been married 11 years. It's, it's hard to notice when there's dissonance between what I coach people on and how I help people and not showing up fully for my family. It's really hard. And so there's accountability that's, that's required. It's necessary. So that's changed me in a major way. 
I think it's also opened me up to a level of community amongst other coaches that has helped me collectively raise my game when it comes to leading others in teams. When you said you had three kids and you were married 11, I was anticipating times, not years. I was like, oh my God, he's been married 11 times. Please God, I hope never, ever, I could ever, ever say that in my life. <laughs> there was such a long pause. My mind went to, he's been married 11 times. Holy moly, his life has been complicated. <laughs> yeah, right. Just personally, I can tell you that the impact of coaching for me has just been exponential. And just what you had said earlier that I thought resonated was you can practice it, but while you're out on that golf course, you got to remember you got to get back to the basics. Otherwise you're going to fall back into your old routines or you're going to be triggered by something at a meeting that doesn't quite, that doesn't quite fit. Yeah. I want to add, yeah. Can I add another piece to that? And so just one classic, there are two quotes I use in coaching that I try to apply all the time in my life with 50% success. First one is my presence is an intervention, meaning my ability to show up and be, if I'm in the process and I'm holding the process of being coach for you, then it matters how I enter into the room, figuratively speaking. So my presence is an intervention. Then the other one is, and this is really related to parenting, is how can I be the lowest heart rate in the room? And I heard that from a podcast that I use a lot with my coaching clients who are stressed. It's like, how can we each work to be the lowest heart rate in the room? And boy, couldn't we use that across the world right now? I like that. Don't rise up to the level of everybody else's heartbeat. Just take it down a notch. I think that's very solid. And my presence is, is an intervention. Is there a number one key thing that you try to keep in mind during coaching that makes you a better coach? Sure. What are we here for? What, do, what does client want? What's important to them? It, so in coaching terms, we call it contracting. And so it's at the beginning of every long-term engagement. It's certainly at the beginning of every single session. Gary, what do you want to work on today? What is our work here? And because here's why I think that's the number one tool for me. It ensures that the work we do inside of 60 minutes at a time is it's co-created by the two of us, but it's driven by the client and their desires and their needs and their goals, which is what it's the only thing that it's about when it comes to coaching. It's not about mine. Do you feel like you have to train your clients in coaching? Yes. I think it's a fair, it's a fair statement. You know, there's a lot of weird definitions of coaching and there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting ways that people might call themselves coaches. I think what's, what can be challenging is to let clients know that you have, you have your own agency, you have your own resolve. And the last thing you really need is someone sitting over here, charging you money to tell you what you should do. You are the expert in your own life. And so I feel like I have to reiterate that quite a bit in sessions, just to remind people, what do you want to do with this? And then I think the other thing that I have to remind them of is it's a, it really is a no judgment zone, right? My, right. My job is to ask questions, actively listen, observe patterns, present challenges. And yet at the same time, it can often feel strange for a client because I'm doing those things. And they're like, wait, like you're not showing any vulnerability right now. It might sound strange to say that, but I'm really careful that I try not to self-reference in coaching sessions because it's for them, not for me. Well, I think that's an interesting point for anybody that's looking at coaching is if you're getting judged, and I've heard that before, they had an interview us in, in my world, I think in your world as well, that's not where coaching comes from, is you shouldn't ever feel judged. You should feel, as you said, good rapport, trusting relationship, 
and open to sharing. I think that those are the uh, kind of pillars of a good coaching session. So we know there's a lot of coaches out there, but I guess we, we probably would agree on the no judgment zone for sure. Time for a few quick, fun questions. Favorite movie or book? Favorite book? Currently, Soundtracks by John Acuff. What do you like about it? It's a good one. John Acuff taught, so a lot of it is talking about the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Not what happens in our lives, but how we interpret what happens and the underlying narratives that we create. It's like the, the intention, we don't even understand how, well, I'll speak for myself, not anybody who's listening. I don't even understand how many times I'll assume negative intent from somebody. It's a soundtrack, right? I've got this soundtrack going on or the soundtrack around there's not enough business in the world that could possibly allow me to leave my full-time gig with a salaried position and benefits and allow me to provide for my family. That's a soundtrack I've been dealing with for a year plus now. That's coaching. I'm working with. That's your soundtrack. That's your, that's your internal assumption. Favorite meal. Ooh, favorite meal. I'm going to say a ribeye steak. Some homemade macaroni and cheese, mac and cheese this is like indulgent and, uh, and some mashed sweet potatoes. Favorite vacation spot. Oh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. P-Town. Yeah. Cape Cod's awesome. P-Town's great. My wife grew up going there. She grew up in New England. And so that's become an adopted vacation place for us every summer. It's awesome. Oh, good. You get to the end of that claw and P-Town, man. You cannot not have a good time. Any music concert, artist, dead or alive. Who do you want to see? Ooh, who do I want to see? Yep. You can see anybody at any time frame. You can go back to when they were. That's the Eagles. Eagles pre hell freezes over. I'm in mean, like seventies, eighties Eagles. Like when they're in their prime, just rocking. I've seen them twice. Grew up on listening to the Eagles. Gosh, that is no question. Couple final questions. Dinner with anybody dead or alive. Who would it be? It'd be with my, my grandpa Chapman. Oh, there you go. For sure. He's, he's been gone for about six years now and he was just whew, feeling it, saying it. He's just greatly missed. Great man. He'd tell the same 12 stories over and over, but boy, I'd kill to have those same 12 stories. Something I could hear again from him. Final question. How do you want to be remembered? As someone who, as someone who led by example, loved my family first and foremost, and was known to put them above anything and everything else. And that that trickled into the way that I worked with colleagues, clients, and peers. Well done. Jason, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Great to be here with you, Gary. Looking forward to more conversations with you. That's it. Thanks.